Today's Bible reading comes from 1 John chapter 4 and we're reading from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Thanks, Carol. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that you would help us to concentrate, to listen and to discern, that you would speak truth to each of us and that you might shape our lives as we increasingly desire to become more like the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I've told you this before, but the ancient father Jerome who translated the Bible from Greek and Hebrew to Latin, where it was used for many centuries, he made the comment, so the comment is a little centuries after the event, but he's basing it on other records and things. Jerome made the comment that when the Apostle John was in his extreme old age, he was so weak that he was carried to church. And as he was carried into church, the end of the service at some points initially, but then he deteriorated, they would help him to stand to his feet and he would give a closing exhortation. Little children, let us love one another. As he deteriorated in health and strength, he would then just lean up on his stretcher, up on one elbow and say exactly the same, little children, let us love one another. And of course, over time, months, the disciples grew weary of hearing that every Sunday. Every time he was there, every time he got to speak, that's what he would say. And that's all that he would say. And they said to him, why do you always keep saying that? Why don't you say something different? To which he is reported to have replied, because it is the Lord's commandment. And if this only is done, it is enough. John Stott quotes Jerome at that point. We find ourselves in the chapter 4. We're just about uh, over halfway in John's letter. And John is very different to the Apostle Paul. Paul is, if you say that Paul is logical, he'll present a a theological statement, a truth, and then he'll apply it. He'll illustrate it and apply it. John is the reverse of that. John gives the application And then he'll either illustrate it, but he'll end up arriving at the theological statement. It's almost the complete reverse. But John is more of a poet, more of a mystic than the Apostle Paul. And John seems to have written both the gospel, but especially his letter, in some sort of circular fashion. There are certain themes that he he visits and revisits, and he revisits them at an increasingly greater depth. He certainly does that with this paragraph this morning. He's been in this passage about loving one another, um, before. Helps if I turn that on, doesn't it? He, he started talking about uh, loving one another way back in chapter 2. And then he, in chapter 3 especially he emphasises it. But nearly all of chapter 4 he'll be on this theme again. There are other themes intertwined into it, but the main theme 
from here till about the beginning of chapter 5 is going to be about loving one another. There's verse 11 of chapter 3, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, been spiritually dead, now spiritually alive. We know we've passed from death to life. Why? Because we love each other. That's the proof. Anyone who does not love, still in the kingdom of death, has not been transferred, has not been saved. John says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The love that he's talking about is not the physical, romantic, friendly, familial love. There's a deeper love. It's agape love. It's God's love. It's part of God's nature and character. And verse 23 is a significant verse because he bounces off that verse to write the next couple of paragraphs. This is the command. Number one, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, which he does in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. He emphasizes that. Whoever confesses Jesus come in the flesh, you can trust them. They're saved. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And now, having done the first part of that, he's now going to deal with the second part, and to love one another. He gets to chapter 4, verse 7. But dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John is using this love word in a particular fashion. What does he mean by it? Well, as I've already indicated, it's not the physical, romantic love. It's another word. Our culture, and we use the word love all the time. Some people love Queensland football team. Some people are far more insightful and couldn't care less. It's on tonight, I think, isn't it? What time does it start? Seven. Pastor Charlie's not here, so he's not preaching tonight. I'll be preaching. So depending on what the result is, it'll be a long sermon. What is this love? Well, there's, we talk about I love apple pie or I love pizza or, you know, I love my children, I love my wife, I love my family. We use all of that. Uh, I love my car. <clears throat> I will in tomorrow. But that's a, a feelings thing, isn't it? We use the word love. It's primarily talking about something of how we feel. The Bible doesn't use it that way. When the Bible talks about love, it's not talking about feelings. It's talking about a decision, a choice that comes from the will. It's an attitude and it comes out of the mind and it's a doing thing, not a feeling thing. It's not devoid of feeling, but it's not based on feeling. So it's quite possible for us to love somebody that we don't like. Like is a feeling, love is a doing. It's what do we do? That's the love that John is talking about. The definition of it would be biblical love is a self-sacrificing, it's denying yourself, and it's sacrificial like Jesus did, and it's a caring commitment that shows itself in both seeking and doing something for the highest good of another. It's a long definition, isn't it? The love that John is talking about is a self-sacrificing commitment a caring commitment, if you like, a commitment that shows itself in seeking and doing 
something for the highest good of the other. We'll come back and amplify that in a moment. So at its heart, biblical love is a commitment, not a feeling. And it's associated with it because just like we've said on numerous occasions, once you start being obedient to God's principles and his word and you start doing what he wants you to do, regardless of feeling, denying yourself, obeying him, then your feelings will follow your obedience. There will be times where you just have to obey, but you won't feel like it. But if you continue to do that, you will find that your feelings will be affected by, sociologists call it praxis, it's an actual onworking. That's how our feelings work. In our society and in this century, our Western world is greatly directed by feelings. We do what we feel like. If we don't feel like doing it, we don't do it. And we do what we want to do. That's generalisation, but that's true across our society. The Bible cuts right across that. We're not driven by our feelings, we're driven by our faith. We're driven by our commitment to the Lord and doing what he wants. So it can be quite challenging for us. Um, and the goal of this commitment, of this love, is the highest good of the one loved. And the highest good of the one loved is that they might be saved and that they might be conformed to the image of Jesus. So biblical love is a commitment to help another person either be saved, come to know Jesus, or if it's towards a believer, then it's helping that person become more like Jesus. And it's me doing things for them that they can grow in him. That's the highest good. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbour. Notice it's singular. Love your neighbour. It's almost like God is saying, just do this one at a time. You know, don't overwhelm yourself. It's, but love your neighbour. And you know who your neighbour is. It's anybody you come across who is in need. And so what's the greatest thing that I could do for my neighbour? If the greatest commandment is to love God, then the greatest thing I can do for my neighbour is help them to love God, to know God and to love him. That's the highest good. There are lots of other things that are good and beneficial and we should be doing those as well. But agape love sees or in fact could cause or create in the object value, whether it's there or not. We place it in other people because all people are made in the image of God. All people. person sitting beside you, on your left, on your right, in front of you and behind you, all made in the image of God. The person who's driving behind you, far too close on your bumper, made in the image of God. Your irritating neighbour who is yelling, made in the image of God. Those annoying kids down the street who trample all over your garden. This is all hypothetical. This is not my worldview. <laughs> made in the image of God. And in fact, we're the only ones made in the image of God, but I want to come back to that. And God shines, sends his love upon all of us. God loves all people made in his image. Doesn't love some more than he loves others. He loves them all. That's worth thinking through. As uh, I think it's C.S. Lewis who says, the sun shines on the earth, not because the earth is the earth, but because the sun is the sun. The sun shines on the earth, not because the earth is the earth, but because the sun is the sun. God loves, not because we're lovable, but because it's, he's love. God loves because he is love. God loves, if I put it in the singular, God loves me because he is he. 
not because I am I. Or God loves us because he is he, not because we are we. He loves us. He made us and he made us to love us and so he does. In God there is no hunger that is to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. C.S. Lewis. And that love that is in God, that loves everybody and wants to give and wants to do the best for them, to save them, for them to become conformed to the image of Jesus, that love which is in God is now in us if we follow Jesus. And that enables us to love those who are naturally unlovable. Heavy, isn't it? Simple. Hard to do. But essential. You cannot command love at the natural level. Because it's a feeling. You can't command feelings. But you can command this love, this Christian love, because it comes out of the will. It's a choice. It's an action. Certainly unbelievers can demonstrate sacrificial love. Parents do towards their kids. Soldiers do in time of war, laying down their life for other loved ones. And that all comes out of God's common grace and general grace to the world, to all people. But unbelievers are not aiming to achieve the highest good. They can't. Their desire is not for you to be saved, reconciled to God, or to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It's still sacrificial, but it's not the ultimate. It's not to the highest end. So that's the sort of love we're talking about, and John's going to amplify this for us. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Well, love comes from God. He's not saying, he does go on to say that God is love. He's not saying God is loving. He's not saying God loves me. He's saying God is love. It's an essential part of his being. All that he does has love attached to it. It's the filter through which he acts, even judgment. It's motivated by his love. How does that work? Where is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us? John will get to it, he'll quote it. Jesus dying on the cross. And Jesus dying on the cross is where God's judgment is poured out on him for a loving purpose for us. Dear friends, let us love one another. And we're not talking here about loving God and we're not talking about loving the unsaved. He's talking about Christians. Let us love one another. So I want you to think about one another as we go through this. Everyone who loves one another has been born of God. You've been transferred from that world, that kingdom, to this kingdom. How did you get into this world? You were born into it. How do you get into God's world? You get born again into it. And what's the proof that you are in God's kingdom, that you are in God's family, that you're in God's world, if you like? You love Because that which is in him is now in you. And you're being transformed into his image increasingly. We're not there yet. We're not perfect. But that element is there. That seed is within us and that seed will grow and have an increasing influence on our attitudes and our actions towards one another. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John is having a slight dig at those who are saying, the Gnostics, we know God. They had this esoteric knowledge of God. They had this superficial knowledge of the scriptures, but they had this arrogance about them that they thought they had 
They were the spiritual elite, and that led them to looking down in contempt on fellow believers. So John writes and says, let's love one another. Not look down on one another, not promote ourselves over one another, but rather, because we've been born of God, and we have his nature now in us, our new nature, the old is gone, the new has come, and we know God, not just know about him. We know him personally, experientially. So the question is not, how do I feel towards others? Or do you feel um, within you love towards those that you don't like, that irritate you or are hurtful to you? I'm not talking about how you feel. The issue is, what do you do towards the people who you dislike, who irritate you, who are who you've been hurt by. What do you do? Do you pray for them? That would be the loving thing to do, to pray the highest good for them, for them to be saved, and now I'm assuming they're Christians, so therefore pray for them to be conformed to the image of Jesus, pray for Jesus to bless them. That's the loving thing to do, and that's what John is directing the believers then and us now to do. Do you act helpfully towards them? If they need a hand, do you give them a hand? But I don't like them, don't care. Command is, love them. And to act accordingly. If not, if you avoid them, if you ignore them, then how does the love of God dwell in you? It's exactly what John will go on to say. Avoid them, ignore them. And let me say this, there is an exception to that. I need to say this because there are some people who need to have no contact with some other people true sometimes you've got to protect yourself even in some people are dangerous so it's okay to avoid them you can ignore them but pray for them Jesus instructs us that we are to pray for our enemies well you can avoid them but you can also pray for them Pray that God will change them. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will achieve his purposes in their life, of course. And there are people who are unloving. Don't look at them, please. Just keep thinking. There are people who are unloving, unkind, always criticising, whispering, backbiting, pleased when they hear something bad about another Christian. Those people who demonstrate that sort of behaviour, unloving, unkind, criticising, backbiting, pleased when another Christian fails or sins or gets caught. That probably demonstrates that person is not in the kingdom of God. That's what John would say. And there is no hope for them unless they confess and repent. It's more like the spirit of Cain which indwells them that John has already referred to. He goes on to verse 8. Stating the positive, and now he does the negative. This is what John does. He loves to play one against the other. Life and death, light and darkness, and so on. What does uh, Whoever does not love, doesn't know God. So just like I was outlining. If you don't do these things, well, you're demonstrating you don't know God. And the Gnostics were certainly saying, as John says on numerous occasions, I know God. I know God better than you. It doesn't seem it, because you don't act it. You're not doing what those who know God would be doing because God is love. And if you know God, 
then you'll be becoming increasingly like him. Contrary to the Gnostics, who through their secret teaching and knowledge and everything else, their teaching focused upon themselves. Love focuses upon the other. So John's application is pretty clear that the children take on the characteristics of their parents. If you knew my parents, if you knew my dad, or if you knew my grandfather, you would probably say, gee, you're just like him. And if you know my grandson, Franklin, he's frighteningly like my father in some mannerisms already. And he's not even two, so we're going to belt that out of him. No, we're not. No, we're not. He's my favourite grandson. Ah, oh, yeah, well, he's my only grandson, but that's all right. It's my favourite one. I have three lovely... Now I'm in a hole, aren't I? Now I have three lovely granddaughters, and I love them all. Let's move on. John says, this is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God has manifested his love, demonstrated his love for us. How? By coming into the world. Don't think the father loves us, so he sent the son. It's God, father, son and spirit loves us. And the son comes. The father sent him, the spirit prepared the way for him. All three are involved in it together. God showed his love for us. He, unitedly, sent the Son, his one and only Son, into the world, into the place which is in rebellion, into a place which was not lovable, which didn't like him, is in fact rebelling against him. God acted in kindness and goodness towards those who are only irritating and unlikable. But he took the initiative. That's what we are to do. It's a heavy word, but it's an essential word. Otherwise, we're just jumping up and down and playing games. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. And here is probably the most profound thing that I'm going to share this morning. Running all the way through the Bible, the second commandment always follows the first. That's worth writing down. The second commandment always follows the first. First commandment, love God. <coughs> Flowing out of loving God, loving others. The second one always overflows out of the first. And as I said before, note that it's in the singular. God's born again children, Christians, believers, disciples of Jesus, we are exhibit B of his love. Exhibit A is Jesus. God sent his son into the world to die for the world that we might live through him. That's exhibit A. Exhibit B is us being saved and then loving one another. That's exactly what Jesus says in the new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, what? That you love one another. By this all men will know, all people will know that you were my disciples by your love for one another. That's the greatest apologetic 
And it's the greatest demonstration that in fact we have genuinely been saved. And Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. We copy him in what we're doing. Way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, we are told uh, a truth which is repeated only a few times in scripture. Genesis 1 verse 26, that we are made in the image of God. Human people, men and women. And God is an eternal spirit, so therefore the image is not physical. It has to do with the immaterial part of us, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our personalities and all of that. We have been carved out and shaped by God to be like him. God made us in his image to look like him, not physically, spiritually, relationally. Um, And so that when creatures look at us, what they should see is God, because we're his image. That's how it was supposed to work. But then, of course, we sinned and rebelled against God. And now the image is not removed, but the image is tarnished. It's marred. It's distorted. It's a bit pixelated or blurred, if you like. But that means that God made us, created us in his image for interpersonal relationships, to be connected in community. That's how God has made us, to be in fellowship with him. He made us with a capacity for relationships with him and with one another. This is only true for humanity. It is not true for any other creature in the universe. It's not true for any other animal. It's not true for the angels. We alone are made in the image of God and we have been made in his image in order that we can receive as well as give love. Unconditional. Tough. Tender-hearted. Love to others. It's a commitment, but it can also be tough. Loving one another doesn't mean we don't speak the truth in love to one another. It doesn't mean we don't correct each other. Love does do that. Because love would not allow a brother or sister to continue in sin or to continue doing something which is wrong because you want them to become more like Jesus. So therefore you've got to speak the truth. You've got to correct them, point things out to them. And as I have said on other occasions, you can always bounce a true Christian. You can speak the truth in love to them. We may get self-defensive initially. We may bounce off, but eventually the Spirit of God will use that to transform us, to improve us. And we all need improving, don't we? None of us are perfect. None. So, why did God send Jesus? So that we might live through him. God has imparted his new life to us. We who were once dead in sin. He has now made us alive in Christ and then given us his life. When we got baptised, the old life, the old nature has been buried. It's been put away. And what was raised is the new person. Now as the new person, we are to walk and act in obedience and in love. Love for one another. I keep harping on it because that's exactly what John does. He goes over it and over it and over it, trying to drive it home. So we don't focus on ourselves, and that's always the wrestle. What's a disciple? Luke 9.23. If anybody wants to be my disciple, if anybody wants to follow after me, let him, them, deny themselves, number one. It's not about me. It's about him. Let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and come follow me. It's the essence of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And please note that it's God who 
takes the initiative. This is love. Not that we loved God and he responded to it, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God took the initiative. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's when I wasn't interested in God, when I didn't know anything about God, that God reached out and started working in my heart, softening my heart. Allowing either or putting in my head questions that I didn't have answers for, but that I wanted to have answers for. Is there life after death? And is there a heaven? And is there a hell? And is there a God? And how do you know? That's God at work in a person who is indifferent and in rebellion against him. God reaching out. And that's what God's doing with every person in the world. Some are resisting and some are responding, opening their hearts to him. So to bring this to a conclusion, so God's love for us, since God has his love for us, John's conclusion, it's inescapable. Verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Ought is an obligation, it's a command. And you know as well as I do, to dwell above with saints we love, well, that's going to be glory. Heaven's going to be wonderful. No sin, no irritation, no faults, no flaws. It's going to be wonderful. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Because we are flawed, we are broken, we are imperfect, but we are loved. And because we are loved, we are to love. And of all of the institutions and of all of the places in the world, the place where love should be demonstrated, where should it be felt, where it is obvious and visible is the church. Often it isn't, isn't it? You ever seen the movie, uh, movie the TV series Cheers? Does anybody not know Cheers? Some of you. Young people. Cheers was a pro, like Friends. Seen Friends? There's a whole lot of these sorts of shows which are all based on relationships. But in Cheers, the jingle to Cheers, it's an actual pub in Boston. Um, do you remember what it was? Yeah, where everybody likes to go, where everybody knows your name. Acceptance. Welcoming. That's what the church is to be like. We are to, and we're going to do a series in a month, for a month, on one another statements. Welcome one another, greet one another, love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another. There's a whole lot of one another statements. And as followers of the Lord Jesus, they're the commands, the instructions for us to do in our relationships. Dear friends, since God loved us, well, we ought to also love one another. This can be measured. So what God did in us, we are to do in others. There are some que- oh, I think I forgot the questions. I'll have to see if I can print them after the service. They would have been sent to the Connect Group leaders. You would have got them last night. But the ones to be photocopied, I was supposed to give that to Rhonda to do, and I forgot to give them to her. And I was going to do them this morning anyway, so you didn't know anything about it. I should have told you, then you would have remembered. 
If God loved us, if God loves me, then I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. What God has done in me, I am to do for them and for others. You can measure your love. You can measure your love for God. You can measure your love for the unsaved by certain criteria. Here are some questions, and these are part of the questions that we produced for this week. For one another, how much joy do I have when I think about them? Or do I put another pin in the doll? Do I think about them? Do I pray for them? Do I rejoice when they rejoice? Is it a joy for me to look forward to seeing you on Sunday? Do I overlook their faults, their failures, their mistakes, their weaknesses and their shortcomings? Do I forgive them? Do I overlook those things? Or where necessary, do I lovingly share it with them in order to help them to grow? Do I refuse to repeat rumours about fellow Christians? Do I feel grieved when one of them fails or sins? How can I be a blessing to them? By doing extra little things that please them and that bless them. There's some of the questions that we have available for you this morning. The Apostle Paul prayed magnificently in Ephesians chapter 3. I hope you can read that. But it says, this is part of Paul's prayer. I pray that you being grounded and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's people, all of God's saints, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. It's impossible, it's immeasurable, but the Apostle Paul is saying, let's do it. Let's plumb the depths of that which we can't reach the bottom of. Let's ascend the heights of that which you cannot scale to the top of. Let's measure the immeasurable and be amazed at the tsunami of God's love which continues to flow over the world in his goodness to us. And so the Apostle Paul concludes by saying this, his prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his purpose, his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. The hymn writer says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. As we are the recipients of such great love, let us be doers, givers, transmitters of his love to us. Let's pray together. Father, we know these words, we know this truth. But you, through this passage, you want us to do more than know. You want us to experience it, to demonstrate it, to practice it. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we haven't been obedient to you, when we haven't been loving to our brothers and sisters, where we've let self get in the road. Forgive us and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, release through us the love that you have for us to others. Help us to think and to do, to put into practice 
that which is beneficial to one another so that everybody who comes amongst us might sense, my, how they love each other, how they care for each other. Lord, this is your church. Transform us into your body, your family, for your glory and for your honour. We ask and pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Everybody said...